Um, Lent 3 already. Holy cow. Here we go. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So um, that will come out in the Gospel for next Sunday as well. Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son to us, to sinful men, and you laid on him the grievous burden of the cross that we might see him and know the glory of holy love. Grant that our faith in him may not be shaken by adversity or daunted by threats, but that we ever follow steadfastly in the way that leads to perfect fellowship with him and with you, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, a couple of things. Here you go. Mark yourself on there, Philip, and send that around. Okay, did that, because normally I forget to do that. I got uh, a couple more books. The Quinties, I think, wanted a book, right? Wherever they are. I got three. I always order five or six, and then by the time I get here, I only have two or three left. So I've got three left. Faye, yes, of course. Faye, you're in. Peter, will you give that to Faye? If anybody else needs them, i got two more. They're genius, actually. So um, the, pra- one of the, pra- the, prayer, the first prayer this morning was from that. So um, give John Crow ten bucks, and that'll go well. Then you said to me, I said to you, so we have Neltem. You said to me, yes. And then I said to you, what day? And you said, we want to eat. Do you remember that? <laughs> remember you said that? So it has to be on a Sunday because we want to eat. Okay. So Meltem threw down the gauntlet. April 22nd. Oh, no, groans already. I know, I know, with 100 people, it's always hard to figure it out. But April 22nd, so here's what we were thinking we would do. Um, We should eat, because that's what you said. And then, uh, you know, we'd have our last service, and then we'd eat, and then Meltem would come and talk about the icon and making the icon and what we should know and things, and you'd ask questions, and she'd say, I never knew that, and I can't believe you found that. So here's what I need. Anybody want to be in charge of the getting the meal together, eating type thing. Anybody want to play? Okay, great. Um, (laughs) Now, here was the good thing about the 20s and the 30s. The 20s and the 30s had this thing where they had barbecue. I don't think this has ever happened to me before. They had barbecue where, like, just throw 10 bucks in the thing, and if you don't have 10 bucks, forget about it. They were, like, $16 to the good, and there were 50 of them. I'm like, I love this demographic. (laughs) We give you stuff, and you give us a tip. It was really nice. Uh, well, so Martha is the one. If you have a change of heart, we'll have to figure out, you know, I mean, if you don't do anything, then you can expect that we'll order from Domino's. Um, you know, if you want to, we don't want to put this on the funeral ladies, you know, there's some we could order kind of stuff, and we could bring sides, we could, I'm seriously, we could order pizza, we could blah, blah, but sort of the vote of the group was, hey, let's do it on a Sunday afternoon, so, and there's always seems to be this interest in getting together and eating and stuff, so that's fine. Plan on lunch. So it would probably look something like this. We have an 11 o'clock service. We get, about, get out about noon, a little after. Everybody kind of gets upstairs. Maybe you start eating as soon as sort of things start, 12.20, 12.30, and then whenever you get far enough along that you can still pay attention and not fall asleep, um, then we'll probably uh, talk about the icon for an hour or so. Does that make sense? Yeah. April 22nd. So that should be fun. All right, there you go. Uh, anything else I forgot? Oh, yes, I have. The key. Hold on. Uh, this will go to Tornado Relief uh, through Lutheran Church Charities. We're happy to support them, good folks. Um, I think they pass on 100% of what they get, do they not? Yes, they do. Which is really quite remarkable. 
you know, so they raise their funding, administrative funding outside. So if you give them a dollar, they give a dollar on, which makes it really easy to be generous because they find a good target and they hit it. Tim Hetzner's a great guy. Lutheran Church Charity is a great thing. Um, if you got a little money, you know, put some in there, that would be good. Really? Yeah, they're good, uh, they're good stuff. About six or seven years ago, I tried to get T- Tim Hester to join the staff here instead of taking that position, but he's too restless. <laughs> There's too many things he has to do. That, that's right, he would never be here. He'd be on the staff, but he would never be here. That would be part of the deal. So, uh, though we had a long lunch one day and talked over. He likes St. John a ton, but... Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's good. That's that's great. So there you go. All right. Anything else we've forgotten? All right. Happy Lent. Um, you're you know you're a third of the way through, so that's good. The focus of Lent is on the cross. We talked about um, if you have an outline. We talked about uh, you know what a difficult thing it must be to write an icon and all the things you're trying to say. And of course, at the end of the day, you can't say everything, but you try to say something. So then the question was, what do we want to say? And we were cognizant of the fact that while this was an icon of the crucifixion, it was the first icon, at least for this congregation, and one has to be careful not to turn people away. Even now, there are people who find it too much, too big, too strong, which is okay, but there are also people who would, as one person wrote me, want a little more blood. Now, here's the thing. That's not a bad impulse, because, you know, the the crucifixion was a horrible thing, and one has to be... um, one has to be careful. So, for example, one of the questions that repeatedly comes up is why Jesus has this um, off-colored wrap, you know. Well, the answer is, um, there's two answers. One is, Jesus was clearly crucified naked. One of the humiliations was, you know, to have you hung up naked in front of your you know, family and best friends, as well as your enemies, and to be both humiliated and taunted. But there is an old rabbinical saying that says, um, God should never be... Uh, God should never be portrayed from the waist down. And there is, occasionally you will see, you know, a naked icon of Jesus, but it is jarring to say the least, you know. Even when I come upon it, it's just, it's beyond my, gets me over the cliff of comfortability. So the reason you have, uh, you know, any covering at all is, frankly, modesty. How much can we bear? You know, how much do we want to know? It's difficult. Uh, so you have this, this real thing, you know, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day as a son of Israel. On the other hand, um, you know, not everything has to be kind of, uh, you know, portrayed all the time in every circumstance. So um, little things like that, you'll see, you know, pushes and pulls toward, you know, so the, the covering, um, the amount of blood, uh, you know, there's the observation from one of you that the nails are particularly small, and or the nail holes are particularly small, and the wound in the side is a, is 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 not uh, big. You can see, you know, kind of a normal Roman spear to the side, where the goal to put in the spear in is to make sure the guy is dead. So you're actually trying to get a little traction, uh, and of course he goes all the way to the heart. You remember he gets to the heart punctures the sack around the heart and outflow blood and water, you know, which the church has understood from forever as baptism and Eucharist. So, uh, you know, there's all these pushes and pulls, and that's the pushes and pulls we want to see. Now, this is, you know, sort of classic stuff, and you've got a pretty, if you look at this, you know, you see, uh, well, I shouldn't tell you, you should tell me what you see. What do you notice? You've got in front of you our icon, and you've got this icon. So if I was going to say to you, 
what are the things that you notice if you look at ours and you look at this one? What do you see that's particular about this? What do you see that's particular about that? Just kind of, just kind of general observations. Doesn't need a lot of interpretation right now, but what do you see? Questions? In this one? Yeah, you regularly see the twist. You know, and of course, in crucifixion, the way that you normally died, the point was for you to die by suffocation, not, not by bleeding to death. The point was to leave you there to suffer uh, as long as you could. So eventually what would happen is, you'll notice this one does not have, often there was actually, a, uh, for, this is real crucifixion, often for real crucifixion there was actually a shelf put there that would um, be underneath the feet. So what would happen is you'd hang on your own weight you couldn't breathe, you couldn't breathe, you couldn't breathe. So you'd push yourself up and then you know, take a big breath. Well, of course, taking a big breath means you're going to live longer. You're not going to suffocate. So in some ways, uh, you, were meant to, you were meant to last a long time. And so the gruesomeness was meant to go over and over. That's why you remember in the story, there's such a surprise that Jesus is dead already. They go to Pilate and they say, he's dead. Al-. You know, they go to get the body. He's like, is he dead already? You know, there's a surprise. Why? Because you could last, you know, two or three days sometimes, depending on how, how horribly you'd sort of been beat up. So, um, but you always get sort of a twist in the body. What else do you see? Just in this one as opposed to the other one, for example, as opposed to ours. Anything? Yeah, we have angels. The two saints there are John and Mary. It's almost always with the crucifix you get John and Mary because they were the ones who stood in. Everybody else runs away. And St. John must have been, you know, quite a guy. There must, be some, there must be some connection between him being next to Jesus at the first Eucharist, at the foot of the cross, being given to Mary, and Mary given to him, and also being the only one of the twelve who uh, died a natural death, wasn't martyred. So there's a doctoral dissertation if somebody wants to you know, do something. So you have Mary, and, and we thought about, you know, if we put additional icons... We have a lot of wall space. What we don't want to do is rush into things. And we have, you know, some bills we need to pay. But when you start to think out 5 and 10 and 20 years, or if you think about, I die and I remember St. John in my will, um, you remember us in the way of you're specific but not too specific. Like, here's some money, but you don't say with a brass plaque with my name on it that's going to be screwed to the front of the altar. So you don't, don't put the, you know... <laughs> You have to kind of, you got to give us some latitude here in what you want. We want to honor you, but not too much. So, um, you know, we want, you want your money, but not that badly. It's, it's something like that, okay? So, uh, you know, there is the possibility, and we, you know, we thought about this initially. There's so many things we planned for and then pulled back just because of the resources, and it's fine. You can grow into a place. One of the really fun things that's happening now is to, you know, somebody said to me this morning, I, I sit in a different place each week. And I gain a different appreciation of how to see. I do the same thing. I go and sit in one place, and then I sit in another place. It looks different depending on where you're sitting, you know. So there is opportunity for more art. One of the obvious things would be for the chapel in the back to have an icon of Mary, uh, of St. John and St. Mary, because, you know, that's, you know, we are St. John, but St. John never comes disassociated from St. Mary. Uh, So in any case, those, we have angels, uh, and they... They have icons. What else? Or they have they have saints. What else do you have? What else do you see that's different? Yes, Philip. That's right. And so sometimes you ask where the I N R I comes from. And so in this one, it's actually spelled out, and you can see that it's the first one: uh, um, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So I R, I'm sorry, I N R X, 
Ours is just abbreviated. But you remember, and it was, of course, much longer. You remember it was written in uh, three languages across Jesus. Pretty big, pretty big billboard up above him. Uh, and there was a whole bunch of wordplay going on there. First, it was written in several languages, so everybody would know what was going on. Second, you remember that was, there was this dispute about king of the Jews. Don't say he's the king of the Jews. Say, you know, he said he was the king of the Jews, and then Pilate, I wrote what I wrote, which is everybody's got to remember who's in charge and chop, chop. Okay? Uh, anything else? Yes? It is very, very interesting. Um, there is a glow in our icon. I don't know how she did that, but it's pretty cool. Um, and we have to talk about what is the glowing, what, what, do you, what sense do you get in the glowing? What do you get from that? Anybody? You get presence, you get holiness. Holiness, good. Presence, what else? Light, good. And life and transfiguration. So, you know, just even in the glow, and I've moved around and looked at it, you get the glow from many directions. So think of all the things. You have this death image, but think of all the positive things that you've associated with it. With it. Life, light, uh, holiness. There was a fourth one. Light, life, holiness. Transfiguration, yes, where, of course, all those things were in spades. What else do you notice? Anything else? Yes, please. Yeah, you have a cross down here. We have a, this is a classic um, figure. See, uh, this is a classic figure. Uh, we decided that we, we, were, we needed something a little bigger to hold, even though we were trying to stretch the space this way. That's the reason we wrapped the columns and made that walk, the cloistered walk on each side. Even though we were trying to stretch it this way so that it felt more like a, more like a church and less like a gymnasium, you know, you, you pull it up this way. We actually were quite concerned to have whatever was in the middle hold the space. And it's a big space, and it's hard to guess, you know, how big uh, it should be. But it seemed to, and, and of course, everything when you first saw it, you're like, man, that's big. But actually, after you look at it for a while, it needs to hold the space. So you do have some crosses, although on ours, you, uh, you have some too, but not the lengthened ones. So you keep, to, you keep getting that. Anything else? Yes, please. You do get a very different position. Um, we still have a mild twist in our body. I guess you have to look at it, right? You can't speak to it. You still have a mild twist to the body, but not quite so much. Look at, look at just the bodily parts, okay? Um, look at the difference in the hands. That's much more like what a hand would be, although, you know, hand is probably a euphemism. You know, the medical studies, there's actually medical studies done on crucifixion. There's probably not enough stuff in your hand if they drove, there's not enough stuff in your hand if you drove a nail through your hand to hold your body weight. The nail would actually pull through. Now, occasionally you'll see, there, and there were different ways. As you know, um, nails were expensive. They were iron. Um, they were recycled. How do we know that they were recycled? Because they were expensive and they were iron. And here's the other thing. About 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago now, they found, so for a long time, people said he would have never been nailed to the cross. They didn't have the money, blah, blah, blah. Well, lo and behold, 10 or 15 years ago in Jerusalem, they actually found uh, a, a tomb that had a body that had two heel bones nailed together, one nail through both heel bones. And what had happened is it looked like the nail hit a knot and bent over, and so the soldiers couldn't, like, yank it back out. And you could see this, like, when the, when the centurion wasn't looking, they just lost the guy in a grave, right? Because they're supposed to pull the nails back and use them again because they're valuable, they're expensive to make. But in this case, it was just too much, so they just... So we have this very 
for a long time, people said, ah, they would have never nailed anybody up. And then lo and behold, we get a skeleton that's got nails in it. So, um, and, and here you have actually two, but often it was common to nail, to put even more twist in the body and to nail through, through the heel bone. So you get even more uncomfortable. It's just this, this horrible you know, way of putting things together. Here you see the hands are quite flat as opposed to our hands, which are almost relaxed in a way. And also look at this. Notice how muscled this is, um, especially in the torso. Look at this. I mean, that's like, right? I mean, that's a lot going on right there, right, as opposed to ours. One of the, one of the things that people have asked about is that the body seemed a bit too feminine. Um, well, here's the thing. In the Middle East, you know, a couple of things. People didn't eat very much. They certainly didn't eat much pro protein. They certainly didn't have, they didn't eat a lot of, I shouldn't say that. People were smaller. People didn't have a diet that really fattened and muscled them up. They rarely ate meat. That's why the Passover was such a big deal, that you had all the meat you could eat and all the wine you could drink. That was like, you know, for us, Thanksgiving. But the rest of the time, it was pretty much lentils and bread and water, right? So you didn't have people it seemed who were heavily muscled. So this is a very interesting interpretation, especially with you know, just how much you've got going on across here, um, as opposed to ours, which is a little more... So in some ways, even though ours is a little more relaxed, it may be a bit more realistic. Okay? And also you have in ours a little more of, of a relaxed hand, as opposed to... You know, if you're driving a nail through something, you're actually kind of... You know, you're... Your hands are wrenched out of position, if it were. If you can imagine, you know, the pain of that, you're going to get a reflex out of that. Okay, what else? Anything else? Yes, please. Yeah, now this one, you still get a pretty restful posture. You know, occasionally you get this great agony in the face, but um, you get a pretty restful posture. You get that in ours as well. Why do you think that would be? Why do you think people would normally portray Jesus as a restful posture? Any questions or answers to that? Good. Right, so it's a choice, and he goes to it willingly, if not happily. Right, good, okay. What else? Yes, please. Good. You have the sense that, that the, like the things got finished up on his own terms, right? So it is finishes. I got my work done. It's very well said. I got my work done. I got it done the way I wanted it to get done. Make sense? Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Western icons are generally uh, gentler, and we have more refined sensibilities. Occasionally, you will see in deep agony. Um, but actually, uh, in a sense, well, let me ask you this. Is he alive or is he dead? Just take a good look at it. I mean, is he alive or is he dead? What do you think? So he's dead because he's got a wound in his side and he's bled out. But it is to the side. No, that's right. It's still relaxed. So is it like when you, like when you go on a date with your wife? <laughs> to the movies. Yeah, I don't know. Like there's a, but there's a time when you fall asleep with your head on her shoulder. You remember these days? Yeah. Now, there's always the question of whether you're going to go farther or snap to attention, you see. There's sort of this in-between time, right? Yeah, so, well, it could be. I mean, it is, in fact, at rest at some sense. But is it, 
at rest because he's going into death, or is it in at rest because he's coming out to resurrect out to resurrection? Yeah, I said that what I wanted to say there. Say it again. Yes, if he were dead. Well, he's still nailed up there. I see. You're going to be slouched down. Yes. Thank you very much. So yeah, you'd have this full this full weightiness coming down. There would be no bend in the elbows. The elbows would be the arms would be straight, hung straight. Okay, good. Now you can see all the things you have to do here technically, because there is the reality that you guys refer to, and there's also the theological reality, which you're both sensitive to, right? That you have to you're trying to give you're trying to get all this stuff done in one place, right? Go ahead. You know, he doesn't have a crown of thorns. He doesn't have one in this one. He doesn't have one that on ours either. And I don't know, Annie, you're always the one who's smart about stuff. Do I, 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 thinking in my own and looking around, I rarely see an icon with a crown of thorns. Do you have any idea why that is? No. I don't either. I, I don't either. I, 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 you know what? Because somebody, uh, I was looking at it and then, oh, I know why I was looking at it. Because I got an email from a, from a, from a book that said, order your palms, your ashes, and your crown of thorns. And I was like, you know, because that's what you do before lunch. You get an email from the, from the local bookstore. And I was like, then I started thinking. I'm like, no crown of thorns. There you go. I know. Here's the thing. That means that by 2 o'clock, Anna will have done all the research and have sent me an email, <laughs> which is like, it's great to have people smarter than you. But no, this is true. She sends me the best emails about, hey, did you notice? And I, yeah. So it's like, it's not like I have my own tutor. But thank, I don't know what the answer is. Yes, go ahead. Yep. Right. Could have been. Yeah, that it came off. Right. So yeah, you get the th- he gets the robe and the thorn at the same time. He gets the robe and the crown at the same times, and there is a point where they take that off. Uh, so yeah, it could have come off. Yes, please. Good. So he, you, well, and part of our problem is, I mean, real honestly, is we've read the end of the we read the last page of the story, right? <laughs> So, right, so he does, he dies all the way according to his human nature, and he dies like you and I are going to die, and yet God doesn't die. So you have to have this thing where God dies and God doesn't die, and you have to hold those two things together. And then we also know that he is, you know, as Hebrew says, he's the one who goes before us in resurrection. Romans says that too in the first chapter. So you have to hold those two things in tension. Yeah? Yes, it is. Um, we have a couple of them around the office. You know, Martha has one or two and on her show, things that we've seen over the years. You know, sort of gather things up. So I should say what you said first, which is part of the body looks like it's still alive. Part of it looks, looks like it's very much dead. So the alive, alive part is, is what you guys observed. There's still a bend in the elbows. Um, the head can go to rest or not. You have this in-betweenness, Right. Here's the thing, there are some, especially in the in art of the last hundred years, there are some brutal images of, uh, of, of utter deadness, you know, things just stretched out, the body's just mangled, it's just, it's, you just can't even look at it, it is so, it's just too much to bear. Um, now, part, and part of it is we had some sensibility to that. If we had an icon like that and you came every week and sort of couldn't look at it, you know, then in the end, it's not so helpful. And I, I myself have trouble kind of looking at those things repeatedly. It is just such a, it is certainly a true part to the story, but it is, it freezes that story in a way that is so uh, difficult to, to look at. Um, you know, there's a reason why there's this in-betweenness of there could be some life there. We know it's coming back. So it's a very good, 
I, I think it's intentional, although it would be a very interesting question. You should be stored of questions to ask Meltem in a couple of weeks. Yes, Mr. Ferrer. Yes, right. Yes, thank you. Right, and that's, very, that's a great thing to remember. It's not a photo. It's meant to be a theological engagement, right? And then all the stuff we talked about, you're not looking at it or it's looking at you or while you look at it, it's looking back and it's not, it's not a mirror, it's a window, all the things that are going on. Yeah, it's a, it's a theological treatise, it's a sermon, it's something other than a photo. So that's very, very helpful. Yes, Don? Really? Don't know. Really? Is that what you buy when you buy a crown of thorns from the bookstore? It might be. Because they're horrible things. They're long, long, horrible things. Really? Yeah, they're not, they're not good. Yes, David? This one or ours are you talking about? Or both of them? Either one. Okay, good. All right, let's test. So we have that one. That, I mean, you do have the, you do have the kind of open palms, which is always, I mean, open palms is always a mark of peace, right? So when the pastor says, peace be with you, and then you often say, and also with you. Or even shaking hands is basically, you know, the customer shaking hands started with, I don't have a knife or a gun in my hand. It's all going to be okay, right? An open hand. Or the classic way of praying at the altars, which is, my, I don't have anything to bring, but I'd love to have my hands filled up. Can you click to the next one? Is the next one our icon? So you get a little bit more. But this is just, it's such a relaxed, it's such a relaxed hand. There's, it's just not, that's not a difficult hand. The Hopkins boys... Right, exactly. I mean, this is the thing about the crucifixion as a blue note, that it becomes, this horrible thing becomes a hug. It's a very good way to talk to kids about it if they get a little bit horrified by a cross. All right, last thing, and then we're going to do a little bit more. Go ahead. And, of course, Jesus is poked at exactly the hour when the sacrificial lamb was, 3 o'clock was offering time, right? So Jesus gets speared at exactly the hour you know, they, they, to, that, the, that, the, that the sacrificial lamb was meant to be slain. So anyway, top of uh, the second page then. Apart from this man, there is no God. And this is a big part of being Lutheran, which is, um, you know, even your evangelical friends, I mean, part of the, your evangelical friends, um, often they will talk, not everybody, it's very hard to say what everybody says anymore because denominations are deteriorating. But even your evangelical friends, if you ask them, they will normally say that the body of Jesus is, you know, sitting on a throne next to the Father in heaven. Um, you know, Lutherans just, you know, Orthodox and Catholics, they just never said that. They said, you know, that's a heresy. We don't know any other God except the God who's got a body. So here's Luther. Apart from this man, there is no God. He is not two separate persons, but a single person, which means wherever God is, the flesh of Jesus is there. And usually your evangelical friends will say that's heresy. But what happens is, if you say God is here, that means the flesh of Jesus is here too, miraculously, in some cases at the altar, sacramentally. But Jesus' flesh is spread out through the universe. Wherever this person is, it is the single, indivisible person. You can't say, Jesus has a spirit and Jesus has a body, and so his spirit is here with us, but his body is not here with us. You can't say that. To say that Jesus is two natures in one person, the great confession, that he's God and man, he's completely God and he's completely man, means wherever Jesus is, he's completely God, and wherever Jesus is, he's completely man. So, if you can say, here is God, then you must also say, Christ the man is present too. Wherever you put down God for me, 
you must also put down the humanity for me. They simply will not let themselves be separated and divided from each other. And see, if you have this, this is why we always say that our primary concern with our evangelical friends is Christological. It's not, it's not that we argue about the Eucharist. We're actually arguing about something much more basic, which is the person of Christ. Once you say this, the Eucharist is easy. I mean, the Eucharist is easy. Once you say his humanity is everywhere, then when you say his humanity is in the chalice and on the patent to forgive us, that he simply attaches a promise to that particular humanity in the chalice and, in the, and, and on the patent, that's not the big step. Our argument with evangelicals is not about the Eucharist. Our argument is about Christ and who Christ is and how the two natures fit together. It's terribly important to understand that. So we say, as Lutherans, we say, as with the Catholics, as with the Orthodox, the churches, as with the Council of, of, of Chalcedon, we say, if Jesus is here, then he is, as we say in the Eucharistic prayer, he's here, body, soul, you know, humanity, divinity, right? Flesh, blood. The whole Jesus is here. There's never a divided Jesus. He's here. Just like he was in the manger here. He has become one person and he never separates the assumed humanity from himself. So, um, miraculously, it's always, does it make sense? It's terribly important for you to get that, otherwise the rest of it doesn't always make sense. Okay? So now you go to somebody, or you're on a committee, or you're thinking about, you know, what you should do, and the humanity is the great big deal, so you have to say, you go to somebody and you sort of say, how can you know, represent this humanity? This divinity, this humanity, represent this. So um, pretty much everybody agrees. It's been kind of interesting over the last 10 years. Things ebb and flow about, and in, in theology, there's always kind of the last best thing that was written that people sort of say that's the Christology that kind of guides a generation. For a while, it was Grohlmeyer. It was this long four volumes, very, very fine. Raymond Brown, when I, 25 years ago, Raymond Brown, who was, it was Father Raymond Brown in New York, was, um, wrote this great Christological stuff. Actually, um, Ratzinger, before he was Benedict, uh, he wrote two volumes, which are genius. And everybody, kind of, when you bump into anybody now, they kind of say, yeah, that's the thing everybody should read. And it's, it's very accessible, interestingly. It's not difficult. So I've taken a few of these things um, and sort of offered them up to you. So this is all the things that needs to be in. The crucifixion starts as a great injustice. So we've talked about that a little bit. It's the execution of an innocent man. So uh, we talked about this a little bit on, in here and a little bit on Friday morning Bible study, but I actually want to just say it to you again. Occasionally, people will say, you know, um, Jesus doesn't, nobody knows what I'm going through, not even Jesus knows what I'm going through. Okay, just hold that out there. Occasionally, little kids will say to us, why does Jesus have to die? Why does he have to die on a cross? Especially during this season of the year. Why the horror of this? Okay, that's a similar question. And then you had um, the stuff that we got from the icon where Rowan Williams kind of answers the question. He said, you know, you get this icon of the transfiguration. You get this transfiguration where you see, you come as close to God as you can get without being burned alive. You know, so this, this intensity of of holiness and light and, and life. You know, heaven gets opened and they get a glimpse of dead guys walking around, Moses and Elijah, and they're banged down the mountain. And, you know, one can't look at him and the other one is backwards and one's covering his eyes. Um, 
That's one story of Jesus. And then, of course, everybody goes away, and he just says, well, don't tell anybody about this. And then the other side is this. So in a sense, your whole life is lived between these two icons, between the icon of the transfiguration and the icon of the crucifixion. The transfiguration is as great as things will ever get. You're in the presence of God, and everything is holy and light, and the dead are made alive. That's as good as life will get. The other side is as horrible as life will get. However horrible, so when kids ask you, and you can't really give them this answer when they're four, but when they're 14, you can. When kids say, you know, why did Jesus have to die? Or people say, why did, why did, why was Jesus crucified? Or sometimes you'll hear, and this was popular about two years ago, there was a series of articles kind of floating around, and then it flamed out like so many things do, about there was, uh, the, that the crucifixion was a, was a model of, of divine child abuse. So the father, and there, it got some currency for about two months, and then everybody's like, that's really stupid. Uh, because what happens is, but it's the understanding of the father somehow forces the son to go to the cross. It's a misreading of the text, which then I counter with, and I countered with it in a sermon a couple of months ago, which is, we all know about this. We all, every night on the news, I guarantee you, at some point in this week, if you watch the news every night, there will be a story of a fireman who goes into a burning building, a mother who you know, jumps into an icy pond to save a kid. There's going to be, at some point this week, there's going to be somebody who freely gives their life for somebody else. Well, I mean, that's the story of the crucifixion. It's not out of our ken. We model it all the time, and we don't even know it. There's just something in us that wants to save life, even when we would give ourselves up, right? You even see, image, you even see you know, echoes of it when people you know, give up a kidney for somebody in their family, or maybe for a perfect stranger. That person's going to die, I'll go without. You, just, you see it all over the place. So your whole life is lived between these two icons. It's as good as it gets in the icon of the transfiguration. It's as bad as it gets in the icon of the crucifixion. The problem is if we fully represent everything that happens in the icon of the crucifixion, nobody's going to show up on Sunday because you can't take it, you know? You know what happened. So we have to represent it. We have to hold it. We can't sanitize it so much that we don't have a body, but we can't make it so gruesome that you can't look at it. And so this whole notion of the crucifixion is a blue note. You know, in jazz, a blue note is an off note that gives meaning and, and, and density and thoughtfulness to all the rest. That's what a crucifixion does. The crucifixion of Jesus, it's this off thing that can be talked about as the most beautiful thing that ever happened. And that's what you're trying to hold in an icon. That the most horrible thing that ever happened can be represented as the most beautiful thing that ever happened. And you can do that without ruining the story, without cashing anything in. Does that make sense? It's a tremendous task. And that's all described then, if you will, in um, Psalm 22. So you wanted to say, you wanted to give me, not two minutes, you wanted to give me Psalm 22. That's what you were going for, right? <laughs> okay. So um, I'm going to just give you a little bit more. Um, number four, you know, this was the tenor of the conversation on the road to Emmaus. These guys despair of their life. It doesn't get any worse than this, right? And then Jesus, who's resurrected, comes back. And he does a liturgy. So now you should be thinking of the main, the main aisle. It's the stone from outside Jerusalem, like people walked on the stone outside Jerusalem to the road of Emmaus. It's 
it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a journey that takes you toward word and sacrament. Jesus himself gives you the words and explains them to them. He opened the scriptures to them. Then Jesus gives you a Eucharist. And in the midst of the Eucharist, your eyes are open and you see Jesus. And he disappears, but he's still there with you. And you go out and live life. I mean, your life is the road to Emmaus. Your life is that same. There's a reason why you have this straight path between the font where you're made a Christian and the Eucharist that nourishes you as a Christian. There's a reason. There's a red round circle around the font and a red round circle around the altar. That's your Emmaus. That's your liturgy. That's where Jesus reveals himself. And at the end, the ultimate revelation of his love for you is when he hangs on the cross. So all of that has got to go on and you, you, you've got to walk in on the first day and be drawn to that. But 20 years from now, you still have to be able to look up and say, say that held. You know, that held. Whatever we did, held it held the day. Because there's a lot of things we get interested in for a month or two. But you have to design something that holds the day. And that's, of course, the reason people understood to build great cathedrals. Because you walk in now, and it was built 600 years ago, and it just you're overwhelmed. And if you stayed a while, you'd see that it held, why it held up for six centuries. Make sense? So, all right, next time we're going to push all the way through Psalm 22, and we're going to try to connect the biblical dots with the icon. But I just want you to be a sophisticated, you know, what's so fun about St. John? I mean, what's so fun? One is you're all happy. I mean, you can't actually, you couldn't, I mean, the joy in the first service, the joy of people being downstairs, you up here chatting, and it's the middle of Lent. And I know a lot of you are keeping the discipline. I've talked to a lot of you. I know a lot of you are fasting. I know a lot of you have done extra devotional work. I know a lot of you are straightening up your giving. I've talked to a lot of people, and you still are able to hold the joy of that. That's a very, very good sign. Okay? So now, you know, we're going to look at Psalm 22, and we're going to see if we can pull every last bit of, the, bit of that out of what you, so that every time you come in, you say, this is a mass, and that's what I got. That's what's supposed to happen to you. Even if the pastor is boring, at least you got an icon, right? It's good for you. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you at the altar.